0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for the second of two podcasts, second of four podcasts, actually, is Dr. Michael Jacobson, co-founder and executive director of the Center for Science and Public Interest, a nonprofit health advocacy organization in Washington, um, that leads the way in, in food and food policy issues and has so for many years. Welcome, Mike. I'm delighted to have you. Thanks, Kelly. So the topic today is food industry self-regulation. So just to provide a little context before we begin that. In the past five, six years or so, the food industry, uh, under um, a lot of pressure from government and public pressure and things like that, has tried to respond to the obesity uh, problem and other issues related to diet and health by issuing promises that it will change things. Uh, they'll, they'll say we'll get rid of our unhealthy foods in schools, that we'll market less to children, that we'll reformulate our products to make them healthier and the like. And a lot rests on this issue because if the public and legislators trust them, then government becomes inactive and leaves it to industry to make changes. If the If the food industry is considered untrustworthy in this regard, then government would have a more active role. So I'm curious about your feelings about this and about how do you think this self industry self regulation has gone? Is it working? Is it something that has any likelihood of success?
0: Depends on the area, if um, uh, uh, the topic as to whether industry self regulation uh, works pretty well. If if a if a company's food could be linked to deaths, then the companies are much more willing to change their products. Um, And so, example, um, foodborne illnesses. Several thousand people die every year of of food poisoning from salmonella or campylobacter. Companies don't want their products to kill people because the death can be traced back to that hamburger patty or that bag of spinach. And companies have been um, pretty supportive of doing things on their own uh, to prevent this from happening. Where you run into resistance uh, in particular is where companies' products can't be linked to deaths, where the deaths occur 10 years, 20 years down the road, and somebody dies of a heart attack, well, what was the cause? You know, was it the air pollution? Was it the hot dogs this person ate every day? Was it too much soda or what? Never can be nailed down. And that's when companies have much freer reign and will resist Um, most government efforts to change the playing field uh, if it hurts the company's pocketbooks.
1: And one of the areas where the companies have been most um, active in making these self-regulatory promises is in the marketing of unhealthy foods to children. Um, What's your sense of how that's gone? Uh,
0: In a mixed bag, you know, and I think one of the—one thing we should be grateful for— is that the soda industry never advertised on Saturday morning television, you know, that direct marketing to kids. They may do other kinds of marketing, but they were restrained enough. That's an area where they exercised restraint. But you know, when you're talking about broader efforts, think back to the late 1970s when the Federal Trade Commission proposed banning all advertising to children, whether it was for uh, automobiles or or toys or junk foods or healthy foods, saying that it's inherently deceptive to advertise to little kids because they don't understand the concept of advertising. Uh, The industry fought that tooth and nail. The food, toy, broadcasting, and advertising industries joined together, ganged up on the Federal Trade Commission, and got bipartisan support in Congress to stop the FTC from taking uh, action. And they actually got legislation passed that to this day, 30 years later, uh, removed the FTC's authority to set rules on marketing to kids. They ha- they can regulate marketing to adults, but not kids. So it's astonishing. And after that happened... Um, it's been almost toxic for government to regulate marketing to kids recently the congress passed a a law requiring the government to come up with voluntary nutrition standards for children's food advertising the government in july proposed some excellent voluntary standards the industry is fighting those tooth and nail even though they're voluntary instead they're saying let's have—that industry will have its own voluntary standards. And it does have standards better than existed five years ago, um, not nearly as good as, as the government's standards. But um, the, I, I think there's—in uh, any case, whatever standards there are will be voluntary. Um, and I think uh, if the goal is to stop all junk food advertising to kids— I think what we're seeing is incremental progress, not as fast as you or I would like to see, but some movement. But in general, industry—so here, industry doesn't even want voluntary government standards because they serve as kind of a moral uh, benchmark, um, let alone regulations. And you see that in all all kinds of areas. You know, companies will say, we don't need the standards, we're doing it on our own. Government says— uh, no, we want to regulate, industry says, okay, then we'll have voluntary standards. They, they do those. They don't work. A few years later, five years later, people might come back and say, hey, we need to get some real standards, and maybe or maybe not, we'll, that we'll get them.
1: So it sounds like what you're saying is that, uh, but correct <clears throat> me if I'm wrong, that uh, industry will not regulate itself at all in these respects if they're not feeling any pressure. Once they start to feel some pressure, their first step will be to come up with standards that are very weak and basically protect the status quo. But as the likelihood of government regulation and negative publicity goes up, the industry then is forced to have self-regulatory standards that have a little more meaning. And it sounds like you feel that there's this, this sort of incremental thing going on right now.
0: That's right. And I think it happens in all kinds of areas where you know, industry loves the status quo. But if evidence comes up that the status quo is a problem, then there's some pressure. And first there'll be PR efforts and then voluntary standards, and then maybe, uh, if the issue is important enough, some mandatory uh, regulations.
1: So where do you come down on the fundamental issue of industry on one hand saying that we can regulate ourselves, you can trust us, and on the other hand, people who are critical of that saying, can't trust industry to do anything meaningful. Government really has to get in and regulate. Where do you come down on that dimension? Well,
0: if you look at what's happened on smoking or nutrition or environmental pollution or any number of areas, it's clear that you need government regulation to provide a level playing field so the good guys don't uh, go bankrupt when they try to make some appropriate changes. Um, um, you need these kinds of regulations. It's just, um, you know, it's proven out case after case.
1: All right, well, thank you so much. I was curious to see what your opinions on this, and as I expected, you have a very interesting and thoughtful way of looking at it. So I appreciate you joining us.
0: Thank you very much, Kelly.
1: Our guest was Dr. Michael Jacobson, co-founder and executive director of the Center for Science in Public Interest. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, where you'll find a variety of resources on food policy issue, including links to other podcasts that we've recorded. Thank you.